And amen. Gosh, church, I am super excited about an epic summer series. We do them almost every summer, series where we really go uh, even, I mean, they're, they're not just four or five weeks, they're six, seven, eight, sometimes nine weeks long. So sometimes it's easy for, I think, for us to lay off during the summer and say, you know what, this is when we're going to kind of relax and take a break. But I mean, I just believe that every weekend is someone's first weekend, and every weekend and every week God wants to do something supernatural, and every week he's got so much to say and speak into your life, so I am so excited about a new series starting. A new series that we have titled and we're excited to announce is called Jesus is, and then you fill in the blank. What would you say? See, I think if if somebody were to fill in the blank about Jesus is, you'd hear a lot of different answers, wouldn't you? Watching online, we love you. We're glad that you've tuned in or listened in. Um, if you are watching, we would lo- I'd love for you right now in the comments. Just fill in the blank. Who is Jesus to you? It might be one word. It might be a phrase. The first thing that you think of, type it in the comments right now. In the room, I'm just going to have you shout it out loud altogether, okay? I'm going to say, right in a second here, I'm going to say Jesus is, and then you're just going to shout who he is to you. Okay, you ready for this? Here we go. Jesus is Did you catch all that? Okay, that makes sense. So what I heard is a lot of different answers, many different answers, and I think that's normal. People, to to some, Jesus is a man. To some, he is God. To some, he is a prophet. To some, he is a historical figure. There's so many different ways you could answer the question. Let me tell you what the premise of this series is. Regardless of what you yelled or what I would yell to fill in the blank, it doesn't matter what, what, at the end of the day, what we really believe or what we, how, we, how we fill in the blank. What really matters is, how would Jesus fill in the blank? Who does Jesus say that Jesus is? That's what really matters. And here's what's crazy. One of Jesus' closest disciples, John, recorded Jesus saying seven different phrases about himself. This is what Jesus is saying. Like, Jesus, who are you? He answered the question. In seven different ways, all pointing back to him. This is what we're looking at over the next seven weeks. These are I am statements, they're called, because Jesus said, Jesus said I am this, and I am that. It, it, it is, it's, I'm so excited to unpack it. Let me start with this. I read a book, um, it's probably been 10, 15 years now. It's a book I'd recommend to anybody questioning who Jesus is. It's by Josh McDowell. Josh McDowell was an atheist much like a Lee Strobel, a very smart individual man, and he set out to disprove Christianity just like Strobel did. Same results. He ended up coming to Christ because all the evidence pointed to the fact that he couldn't deny who Jesus said he was. So McDowell wrote many books. One of them is called More Than a Carpenter. So More Than a Carpenter, I read this book, and McDowell said, there's three things, really, when you look at the life of Jesus, when you, look at, you read the Gospels, the, the stories of Jesus' life, He's really one of three things. And uh, actually, to to give you the three things, let me just set it up. The first thing that he said Jesus is, that people would say, um, did you ever have a friend growing up that they stretched the truth? It seems like we always have one in, in our group, right? That somebody that just, you know, they don't just stretch it. They mangle the truth, right? They're, they're always exaggerating or one-upping you. Like if you said, hey, we went to Disneyland. Well, they went to Disney World, okay? Hey, I got a B on my test. Well, I got an A on my test. Yeah, I remember when I was 10 or 11 years old, I was at my grandma and grandpa's house in northern South Dakota. Everybody wants to travel there. It's amazing. So um, 
I was visiting them. We did it every summer, and they took me fishing, or my uncle did and some others. And I, I, it's the first time I really remember catching a fish. And it was amazing. It was a, a northern, and it was like, uh, we measured it. I think it was 21, 20, 22 inches. And for a 10 or 11-year-old, that's, I mean, it was like I was reeling in jaws. I mean, it's amazing. And I was like, this is so awesome. I remember going back home after the vacation. I was telling my friends, you guys, I caught this, this fish. And it was so awesome. It was like, you know how we tell stories. And um, of course, the one-upper, my friend, you know, the exaggerator. Oh, I went fishing with my family and I caught a fish way, way, way bigger than that. And I was like, how about I take you fishing and throw you over? You know, okay, anyway, so I was like, I, whatever. And so what you might be thinking is, well, why didn't you just pull out your phones? I'm sure you took a picture of it. Well, here's the thing. When I was 10 or 11, you ain't pulling no phone. Your phone's attached to the wall, okay? It was different back then. And we took a picture of my fish, but the problem was when I told the story, the, the film... Okay, I don't have time to explain everything, but the, the, the stuff in the camera that it was at the place where we got the pictures developed. Anybody tracking here? Uh, yeah, that's how we used to do it. It was crazy, and you had to wait for the pictures to come back like a week or two, and, and then here's what really sucked. You'd finally get the pictures back, not digitally, but on a little piece of paper. You get the pictures back, and half of them were garbage because you can't preview them. So you're like, okay, there are my eyes are shut. There are my hairs jacked up. There are my flies down. Okay, you're throwing all these pictures out. There was no pre, it was tour, I mean, we were, I mean, I was, it feels like I was like really, literally, uh, how can you say it? Um, I can't think of the word, but anyway, it was weird. So, but that's how it was. So we had no pictures to compare. It was just my word against his. But, but this guy, this friend of mine, I mean, if you, if you want to really say what he, what he did a lot, he lied a lot. That's what they thought about Jesus. Josh McDowell would say, you have to say, when you read the story of Jesus, that Jesus is a liar. Jesus would claim, I am the son of God. Okay, seriously? Are you, are you kidding me? I am the savior of the world. All right. I am a, I am a, I was born to a virgin. Okay. You know, we're sure you were, Jesus, just like Jonah was in a fish this big. I mean, seriously, come on, making this stuff up. Jesus must be a liar. That's what many people thought. A lot of people still think that today. They would put him in that camp. The second category that, that McDowell talked about was, uh, uh, I'll set it up this way. Um, when we launched Meadows Church, the very first weekend we did it at the Beardmore Event Center in Bellevue, Nebraska, October 8th, 2017, I remember preaching the message, and uh, one of the first salvations we had was a guy named Mike. And I remember getting off the stage at 11 o'clock service, and, I, and I'm bear-hugging this guy that I just met like a few minutes earlier. And Mike was, uh, we just, we just, we, we bonded right away because Mike was an addict, and uh, I can relate to that. And Mike was heavily, heavily addicted, and Mike found Christ through our church. And uh, he here's what's amazing. So Mike, so Mike moved away for a while, and, and now he's back here, and we just reconnected. Uh, but like a month ago, we went out for lunch, and he told me a story that I ne he never told me before, and here's what he said. He said, Monty, it's kind of funny. When I was jacked up on drugs, I, he was messed up bad, and he, he was in a psych ward. And he said, he said, when I was in the psych ward, I remember they had me strapped down. They had to strap him down. And uh, the nurse is getting ready to, like, give him a horse tranquilizer or something to settle him down. So she, she's getting ready to give him an injection. And the last thing he says is something like this. He said, I am Jesus Christ, and I have come back. And I'm sure the nurse is like, and I'm the Easter bunny. Okay, it's time to go night-night, okay? And she knocks him out. But I just thought, that's crazy, that's what they would think about Jesus. Like, like what they would call Mike at that time 
is a lunatic. Like, you're out of control. You're crazy. Like, what is wrong with you? McDowell said many people would label Jesus a lunatic. Anybody that says, eat my flesh and drink my blood, okay, there's something wrong with that. You are, you are out of control. You need the horse tranquilizer because you are saying things that are not normal. Jesus is a, is a liar. Jesus is a lunatic. McDowell said he's, he's either that, a liar, a lunatic, or the third option, or he's Lord. Like there is no other conclusion you can come to when you read the story of Jesus. He's a liar, or he's a lunatic, or he is Lord. Those are the options. That is it. And there, is no, there really is no other camp you could, you could fall into. Jesus, the I am statement that we're going to look at today, Jesus is not only Lord, but he describes himself in specific ways. Jesus would say, I am, well, let me read you the scripture. John wrote it, his best friend, one of his best friends. John said in John 8, 12, Jesus spoke to the people once more and he said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. See, for some of you here today, some of you watching online, that's the greatest news you could ever hear because you're in a dark place, because you're going through a dark period in your life, a period of frustration, maybe a, a period of struggle in a certain area. I, I don't know what it is for you. Maybe I wrote down, maybe it's hopelessness that you're feeling. How is it ever going to get better? Regret, remorse, depression, this dark season. Do you think you're here by coincidence? Do you think you logged in maybe even three years from now by coincidence? It's not. You're going to hear about light. And some of you, you're desperate for it. And I'm so grateful that God led you here today. I am the light of the world. In, eight, in John 8, 12, Jesus says that. He says the same statement again in the very next chapter. In fact, in John chapter 9, that's where we're going to park today. That's the message. The entire chapter revolves around one story. The story that you're going to get. A story of a blind man who'd never seen, not even as a baby, not even as a toddler. He had never seen anything but black and dark. Things are about to change. This is the gospel of John chapter 9. As Jesus is walking along, he sees a man blind from birth. Rabbi or teacher. His disciples asked, why is that guy, why was he born blind, Jesus? Is it because of his sins? Is it because of his parents' sins? And Jesus is like, no, 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 you don't get it. It's not because of his sins or his parents' sins. Jesus answered, this happened so the power of God could be seen in him. We, and, then, and then Jesus, he switches to urgency. You listen to, listen to the way he says this. Like, we, 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 don't, we shouldn't live panicked, but we should live urgent. And Billy Graham alluded to it in our message last week. Jesus says, we must quickly, say quickly. You must quickly carry out the tasks assigned us by the one who sent us. The night is coming and where no one can work. But while I'm in the world here, I am the light of the world. There he says it again. Then, okay, then as Jesus stands in front of the blind man, Blind man, here's a guy talking about light of the world. He don't, all he knows is darkness. And all of a sudden, Jesus spits on the ground, makes mud with his spit, spreads the mud over the man's eyes. 
understand something. This guy can't see any of this. He just knows there's a guy in front of him who's gonna, supposed to do something miraculous, and he can't see anything, but all he hears is... And he's like, you know, that kind of sounds like a loogie. But and no, I, I'm sure it can't be that. And all of a sudden, he can't see, uh, but he can feel. And all of a sudden, he feels mud and spit being smeared on his face. And I'm sure he's thinking at this point, you know, maybe I'll wait till the next miracle worker comes along because this guy's not sanitary. Okay, this isn't right. This is crazy. But, but Jesus does this the way Jesus does it, almost like a lunatic would do it, right? And Jesus does it, and then he tells the man, go wash yourself in the pool, the pool of Siloam, that means scent. So the man went and washed. He came back seeing. Just imagine what's going through this man's heart, through his eyes, through his mind. His neighbors and others who knew him as the blind beggar, they didn't even, they don't even say his name. This guy's got the label as the blind beggar. They asked him, or they asked each other, isn't this the guy who used to sit and beg? Some of them said he was, and others said, no, it just, that's just a doppelganger. That, that guy just looks like him. But the beggar's like, no, it's me. I'm him. It, it's Jim. I, I'm right here, right? It's me. I'm the guy. And they asked, wait, who, who healed you? What happened? Then he told them, the man, I, they called him Jesus. He, he, he made mud and he spread it all over my eyes. And then he told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and I washed and now I can see. This is amazing. So this entire chapter is this story. And for the sake of time, we can't cover every verse, but let me paraphrase the next few. They take the man who can see now to the Pharisees, the religious people. Why? Because the work that had been done to save him, this, this miracle, was done on the Sabbath. Right? The Sabbath is a day set apart for the Lord, a day to be extra holy for the Lord. But the religious people, the Pharisees, they like to add on to what, what God said. That's what religious people do. Well, I know God said keep the Sabbath holy, but we don't think you should do this or that or this or that. And they wrote down all the extra rules that they thought were important. So they bring the guy to the Pharisees. Listen to what they say. The Pharisees. In fact, I'm going to write it in because they labeled Jesus. They, they got a label for Jesus. In 916, listen to this. They take him. He's inspected by the Pharisees. They don't even care. They don't even care that he can see. That's, that's what's crazy. How do you miss it? Some of the Pharisees said, this man, Jesus, is not from God. For he's working on the Sabbath. He is not from God. That is how the Pharisees would describe Jesus. I know, what he's, I know who he says he is, but he ain't, God, he ain't from God. In fact, they would, they would call him the opposite. They would, they would say he's a demon, he's possessed by the devil, all these crazy things, all these lies, right? Jesus is a liar. So he's not from God. Because why? He's working on the Sabbath. They're more concerned about the rules that they made up to go along with religion versus the relationship with the man. Isn't that insane? They're, they're more concerned about their politics than they are the person. Jesus would always pick the people over the politics every time. He would always pick relationship over rules every time. I, the, in fact, there was a time in Mark, if you read the Gospel of Mark, the same type of thing happened. Jesus and his disciples are walking through a field on the Sabbath, right? This is a Saturday is when the, the true Sabbath was back then. And they're walking, and they're just picking wheat in the field, eating it. 
And the Pharisees see it. They're like, oh, well, look at them. They're working on the Sabbath. They're picking wheat on the Sabbath. And Jesus is like, are you kidding me? And Jesus and Mark, you know what he said? He tried to teach them. But they, they were so unteachable because they already knew it all. They already knew it all. So, so Jesus says to them, he says, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of the people. That's what the Sabbath is for. Not the people, excuse me, and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. In other words, the Sabbath is for you. It's not to take from you. It's like we, we get it mixed up. We think, oh, we gotta dedicate this, this, this day of rest to the Lord. We get to. It's like, oh, I gotta go to church or I gotta read the word, I gotta pray, I gotta do whatever. And it's, it, it's not that, it's not. Jesus is trying to tell us the Sabbath, this holy day, isn't to take anything from you. It's because Jesus has something for you. And I truly believe with all my heart that, that like when you've been touched by Jesus, like the blind man, when you've been touched by Jesus, like when you've experienced the light of the world, spending time with Jesus, it will no longer feel like an obligation. Why? Because you've experienced transformation. That's what changes. That's why I all of a sudden wanted to go to church. I never wanted to go to church all my life. All of a sudden, something happened in me, and I was drawn to the body of Christ. It was messed up. It was fallen. There was people in there that were sinners and hypocrites, but yet I was drawn to it. Because the Holy Spirit was doing something. That's what Jesus is teaching them about the Sabbath. I wrote it down. While the Pharisees conducted investigations, listen to this, and debated about Jesus, people, people were being healed and lives were being changed. Jesus just kept doing what Jesus does. He's like, you can go over and inspect him and debate him, get mad at him. You don't even see that he can see. You don't even care. You're worried about all the rules that you added on to what God said. And, and, and then I wrote this down. Our world today, while the world is fighting about politics, and we do, arguing over the economy, and we are, blaming each other for all of our troubles, and we do, you know where we're going to be at Meadows Church? We're going to be right here, preaching the word of God, pointing people to the Son of God, and to their God-given purpose. That's never changing. I don't care what's happening in the world. I want to know what God's doing here. And then if God does something in us, we can change the world. That's what God wants. Jesus didn't let the Pharisees stop him. You know what their problem was? They didn't know scripture. That's what he told them. You don't even know scripture. You think you do, you don't. So, so they, they say Jesus is not from God. What about the others? What did others say? You know what they said? I'll just write it in before I tell you. Writing is horrible, but anyway, that's a whole other thing. So, Jesus is a sinner. It says it right in John nine sixteen. We finished that verse. I got to find. Oh, here it is. Others said, "But how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous things?" So th there's a deep division among the people. There's a deep division of opinion among them. We can't relate to deep division of opinion here, can we? No. I mean, the, the Pharisees are fighting with each other. If they're fighting with the people that aren't Pharisees, everybody's fighting. He's a sinner. He's a, but, but is he? Is that what Jesus is? Again, go back to John. Nobody knew Jesus better than John. I'll show you that. That's why, Jesus, John, that's why John was so the right person to record this. Even though he didn't know he was writing the gospel, he was writing just what he saw Jesus do. 
John lived with Jesus, did life with Jesus for over three years, and he never saw him sin. Okay, that's amazing. If you and I hang out for three hours, we'll end up in jail together, okay? That's different. That's what we'll do. Jesus never sins. I had a guy, for early on in the church, I had a guy leave. Him and his wife left the church. They were only here for like a couple of weeks, and I went out to eat with them. I'll never forget it. Because I said, you know, we're not a perfect church, and I'm not a perfect pastor, but we'll point you to a perfect Jesus. And he said, you shouldn't say you're not a perfect church. It's the bride of Christ. I said, I know it's the bride of Christ, but see, I'm in it. And when I show up, it's not perfect, okay? And he could not grasp that, and he ended up leaving. I'm like, oh, I don't know what to tell you, man. I, I'll point you to Jesus all day long. But, to sh- but I show my imperfections every day. Okay, I'll tell you a story. All right. This last Wednesday, we have our youth out here for an amazing event. Our youth is our 6th through 12th graders. If that's you or you got kids that are that age, you got to get them out here for, for youth. So we're celebrating the 5th graders that were coming up into 6th grade. And we're, so we're having a party, slipping slides, grilling food, going all out. And the problem was food's getting low. Teenagers eat a lot. Turns out. So so I'm like, all right. And I was out here kind of just helping. And I told the, the youth team, I said, you guys just keep loving the kids, doing your thing. I'll jump in my car and I'll save the day. I'm going to go and get some food at High Beak. It's for the children. So I jump in my car and I already have issues driving. You know that. So, well, I'm in a hurry because if I don't get back and those kids are hungry, someone's going to die. So I'm like, I get in my car. I'm driving down gravel roads. You know where we're at. And I'm, you know, going a little fast. I get in behind a person that's going a lot slow. So it's not a good combination. So I'm riding them pretty close because I think that's what Jesus would want. So I'm, I'm on them. And I'm like, oh, thank God. A turn is coming up and I can get away from the, they can just go, well, they put their blinker on to turn. And I'm like, oh my God, why have you forsaken me? So I'm like, now they're going to go down the same road. So I'm still behind them on this other road. So I'm still riding them because I think, again, that's what Jesus would want. So, so finally, you guys, this is, this is what happened just last Wednesday. They are, uh, so I, I'm not that close. I mean, but I am close. And they pull over to the side of the road and put their hazards on. A true story. I'm, I'm embarrassed, but here it goes. And the person driving stuck their hand out the window. Now, I thought they were going to tell me I'm number one in a certain way, but they didn't. They, they did this. And I'm like, oh, my God. They're, they're waving me by. It's like, it's like Moses part of the Red Sea. I'm like, yes. So I just zoom right around them. I'm like, thank God. This is awesome. And I, I'm like, that's incredible. So I, I, I go and I get to a stoplight. And I do stop for those sometimes. And I stop. And, uh, and the car that waved me by, Guess who's coming up behind me now? That car. So guess who's now right beside me? That car. Guess who's rolling down their window? Yeah, that car. I'm like, oh my God, here we go. I'm going to get yeah, this person. So I, I roll down the window and I look over and it's a member of our church. And I'm like, God, no, this is the worst. This is like my nightmare. I kid you not. And the guy says, man, you're up in my grill. And I said, I'm sorry, it's for the kids. I'm just trying to get food. I'm, so I'm, the cool thing is that he was a friend of mine, thank God. And so I, I texted him after I got to high and I said, listen, Jesus would forgive me, so you should too. So, I, yeah. <laughs> so he was, he was, you know, I think he was really going to chew me out before he saw it was me, thank God. I mean, I was, anyway, so what am I saying? I'm far from perfect. But Jesus, Je- Jesus never sinned. John 9, 17, the Pharisees question the guy. They keep questioning him 
about who, the guy that was blind. And they demanded, what's your opinion about the man who, who healed you? What's your opinion? And the man said, who did the man say he was? This is so interesting. The man who was healed? He says, he must be a prophet. Like, he's special. He must be like Moses. He, he's he's got to be like Elijah. He, he, he's like Jeremiah. These, these men of God, they, they, they were able to do miracles. Jesus, he is a prophet. That's what he said in, in 917. I think he must be a prophet. All this guy knew about the person that healed him is he was called Jesus. We don't even know if he ever saw Jesus yet. He went to a pool and washed himself. By the time he got back, I don't know where Jesus was. I have no idea. He'd heard him, never seen him. And all he knew, he was called Jesus. So you know what this tells me at this point? He calls Jesus a prophet. Here's what it tells me about the man who was blind. The man who was blind, he was healed, but he wasn't saved. He was healed, but he wasn't saved. He isn't saying he is the son of God. He is the savior of the world. He, he, he is the Messiah, the anointed one. He didn't say any of that. He just said, he healed me. He's got to be like a prophet. He isn't saved at this point. Isn't that crazy? See, I love healing. I, I love it. We see people healed in our church. It's crazy. Physical healing. I talked to a woman. I, 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 I tried to think about who it was. Cannot remember because I hear so many miraculous stories. It's nuts. But it was in the Welcome Center probably three weeks ago. And she's talking about her back. And I said, your back? She goes, my back is healed. And I said, talk to me. She said, after service, I got prayer from people in the church. And I said, your back's healed. She said, it's healed. And I'm like, you're, and it's just amazing what God is doing. That's why I tell people, you are crazy to leave without prayer. You are crazy to leave without prayer. But let me add this. And I know this woman loves the Lord, so praise God. But let's say she didn't. Let's say that woman was healed. Her back is healed, like his eyes were healed. But she doesn't know Jesus as her personal savior. She hasn't asked for his forgiveness. She hasn't invited him into her life. And she goes to hell. Does her healing really matter? Does it? It made her life a little more comfortable for the few tiny short years that she had the side of heaven. I, I just, I never want, I, spiritual healing. If this man never confesses to Jesus as Lord, as Lord and Savior, he can see, but yet he's spiritually blind. So, Jesus, what am I saying? He's healed, he is not saved. So let me, let me give you some more paraphrase. The Pharisees continually hammer on the guy. They bring in his parents for witnessing and they call them to the stand. Is that really your son? Yeah, it's our son. Was he born blind? Well, we're pretty sure he was born blind. And they're quizzing and they're trying to find any way to disprove a miracle that they're looking at. And finally, the guy who, the, the, the beggar who was healed, he gets kind of, he gets kind of ticked off. And he, he kind of goes after the Pharisees. That's kind of why I like him. He goes after religious people. It's great. Well, they don't like that, so they throw him out. They throw him out of the temple. Here's, here's what I love about this story that I've never seen before. It's like Jesus is watching. Gosh, Jesus doesn't just heal the guy of his, of his blindness and say, okay, all right, on to the next miracle. Guys, come on. He's good. Let's go. Nah, Jesus, he heals this man, and he's watching. It's like he's watching everything go down. And the reason I can tell you that is, look what it says in verse 35. When Jesus heard what happened, he finds the man and asks, do you believe in the Son of Man? I love it. He cuts right to the chase. You can see physically. I'm not concerned about that anymore. 
I'm concerned about your soul. Do you know the Son of Man? Do you believe in the Son of Man? The man answered, who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. And Jesus is like, you've seen him. He's speaking to you. And he says, yes, Lord. There he confesses, Lord. I believe. There the, the, the spirit enters into him. I mean, it's amazing. And the man said, I believe you're Lord. And what's he do next? By default, he worships, worships him. I, I guarantee after you're saved and you're set free, you will be compelled to worship. You may, and maybe not, I, I'm just telling you, the spirit in you will, will, will compel you to do things you would not otherwise do. He, he, he immediately worships him. Don't miss that. It's so amazing. And here's what's really amazing. If you, and I encourage you, read this whole story this week. Read John 9. Soak it in. Here's what you're going to see. You're going to see that the, the theme through them quizzing the parents, quizzing the, the blind guy, the beggar, the whole time they're asking the question over and over and over. I should have locked this, but I don't know how. So whatever. So uh, they're quizzing him. And they ask the same question four times, at least. You know the question they keep asking? How? How? How did this happen? How are you blind and now you see? They ask it over and over, four times at least. Read the story for yourself. How many of us are asking that question right now in our lives? How? Some of you, you asked it on the way to church. You're asking it even as you sit here in your heart. How am I going to, how are we going to get through this? How, how are they going to make it? How are we going to get by? How are we going to pay for that tank of gas? Seriously, how? Second mortgage? I don't know. How? How am I ever going to find somebody? How are we going to get through this? When that's really not the correct question. It wasn't then and it really isn't now. See, the question that we need to focus on, the, the question that we're all asking, it's the wrong question. We shouldn't be asking how. We should be asking Who? That's the question. Not how. Who is going to get me through this season in life? Who is going to help me understand what I'm going through because I don't get it? Who is going to provide me the peace that I need right now because I'm dead on the inside? Who is going to, going to direct me in steps when I'm off base? Who? This is the question. It's not how, but who? The, the man, think of the blind beggar. He didn't know, he didn't, he didn't know how he was healed. He didn't know why he was healed, but he finally knew who. And it wasn't Jesus the liar. It wasn't Jesus the prophet. It wasn't Jesus the lunatic. It wasn't Jesus the whatever you want to fill in the blank. It was Jesus Christ, the light of the world. When he knew who, everything changed. When you know who, everything will change. The real miracle wasn't the, wasn't the opening of his eyes. It was the opening of his heart. That was the miracle. The eyes were just on the journey to get to the heart. 
This is what God doesn't want you to miss. How did light penetrate the heart? Listen to the progression. Oh gosh, don't miss this. Remember the story. He, he listens to Jesus. I need you to go. I need you to go wash in the pool. You got to do that. He listens. What does he do next? He listens to Jesus. He obeys Jesus. He goes to the pool and does it. Then he believes in Jesus. And then he experiences not just light, but the light of the world. Why is that such a big deal? We think, okay, that's normal. It's not. You know what's normal to us? Normal is we think linear. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, you know, to listen to Jesus. And then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to believe in it. And then once I believe it, I'm going to do it. Well, that's not what he did. He did it before he believed. And this is the kicker. And this is, what, this is what's holding some of you back from what God has for you. Is you keep waiting for the right time. And you keep waiting for that trust to build up to a certain percentage. Or that belief to get to a certain point where you're confident enough to take this step. And that's the problem. That is the problem. It's so crazy. He does it like backwards. He, he obeys and then he believes. That's why I say at Meadows Church, you, don't have, you, you can belong before you believe. Welcome home. You don't believe in Jesus? I love you. Keep coming. Okay? Welcome home. You, you, it's, it's critical. Some of you, you're holding back, taking this step. It's like the, the, point, the point God gave me was this. He took a step of faith before he believed. That's not normal. I need to believe it, and then I'll take the step. Wrong! While he still had doubts, while he still had uncertainty, faith is taking a step in your uncertainty. If you didn't do it in your uncertainty, it wouldn't require faith. This is what people miss. I'll give you one other story early on in our church. Oh my, I, I, won't, I don't want to name a name here, but... By the way, Mike, he's sitting right here, so you got to say something to him after the service. Isn't that cool? One of our, one of our first decisions for Christ right there. Amazing. Sober, been set free from drug addiction. I love him. So this woman, I'd sit with her and her husband early on in the church. He's a believer. She's not. I said, just come. Just keep coming to church. Just keep coming to church. She doesn't believe. And I'm telling her, just come. Just obey. Just do it. She did it. She keeps coming. Every weekend, you guys, it's so, I, I was just, my team probably thought I was a lunatic. There I am, right there. So, because after the people leave, I look at the cards. I'm like, did she make a decision for Christ? Did she make a decision for Christ? And every weekend, her name wasn't in there. I, over a year. But she's coming. Like, every week she's coming. And she's there. And every week I'm like, God, I'm presenting the gospel. What's going on? This is supposed to happen. I got all these decisions. It's amazing. But where's she? Then she comes into church one day. You know what she did? She says, I want to serve. <laughs> you want to serve, like, on the dream team? Yep, I want to be on the host team, the, the welcome team. Like, you know, handing out notes, welcoming people. You're, but you don't believe. No, I'm not fully bought into what, what, what's going on. <laughs> okay, but you're going to serve. And, and attend one and serve one so you'll be here all morning with us for something you really don't believe in. Yep. Okay, well, Meadows Church, we do things backwards. Just like the guy. And I will never forget. I'll never forget the day. After the 11 o'clock service, a lot of you had filtered out. Some were still praying with people. I'm talking to a new couple. Just finishing up a conversation with a, first -time, first, uh, a man and a woman first-time guest. And, and the prayer, a member from the prayer team comes and gets me. 
and says, hey, come into the prayer room when you're done. I said, well, we're, we're good, I'm, I'm done. So I go in the prayer room and there she is. And the prayer team member says she just gave her life to Christ. And yeah, you can clap, it's good. I don't know, it was at least, it was a year and a half to two years into the church plant. She'd come, she'd believed, or excuse me, she'd obeyed, kept coming. Every week she'd come to church. Then she started serving, still wasn't believing. And all of a sudden, you, you gotta stop waiting. You gotta stop waiting. What, what, what step in your uncertainty is God asking you to take? Well, I don't know if I'm there yet. Good! I hope you're not there yet. That's what your step will get you to where you need to go with God's help. This is so, it's so crazy how it is. I'm like, the guy did it back. And God's like, my ways are not your ways. I, I tell you all the time. My thoughts are not your little linear thoughts of how it's supposed to happen. Jesus did it a lot how it wasn't supposed to happen. That's why the Pharisees got so ticked off at him. John. I talked to a guy in our church before the service, Tyler, and he said, I'm reading the gospel of John. I'm so excited for the message or for the series and I said, Tyler, the, the gospel of John, it's, it's different than the other gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It, it, John starts from way at the beginning. Like, Jesus has always been, right? He's always been. He just came to earth, you know, uh, as a human later, but he's always been. John writes, in the very beginning of John, he says, in him was life. He's describing Jesus. In him was life. And his life, it brought light to everyone. Say Everyone. Everyone had life. The light shines in the darkness. And I love this. The darkness cannot overcome it. Did you hear that? In your disappointment. In your struggle. In your unanswered prayers. In those regrets. In that, in that mess. Darkness has not overcome you. Why? Jesus, this light of the world. Isn't it amazing to think that when, when you and I were at our darkest, God sent light. When you and I were at our worst, God sent his best. God sent Jesus, not just to become the center of history, but to become the center of your story, of you. Not just here, but here. Oh, Jesus. And, and, and understand this, light always shines brightest in the dark, doesn't it? The darker it is, the brighter the light. And if anybody experienced darkness, look up here. It was John. So when they crucified John's king, John's savior, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, guess who was the only disciple there? John. All the others had left, they'd ran, they were scared. So John's sitting at the cross. You want to talk darkness? Read that scripture. At noon, in the, in the heat of the day, the center of light, it was dark. The Bible says at noon, it went pitch black. The, the sun went completely dark. Imagine that happening at noon today. It's like the black of night. It was dark for three hours. You want to talk dark? Think of what John was thinking. It is complete. I mean, he's thinking, oh my God, this is not supposed to, this isn't how it was supposed to play out. You want to fill in a blank? Who, who is John thinking he is right now? John is like, I am, I am, I'm worried. My king is dead. 
I'm in trouble. They're going to come after me. I'm confused. You, you, you're the light of the world, you said, but it's never been this dark ever in my life. I'm scared. Your mom is right here with me. I don't know what to do. My friends, I don't even know where they're at. Did I get, did I, did I get it wrong? Were you a liar, Jesus? Were you a lunatic? Think of that moment when Jesus was dead, how dark it was. Fast forward three days. A woman named Mary Magdalene, a follower of Jesus, I'd say a disciple of Jesus, goes to the tomb and she's freaking out because she thinks someone stole Jesus' body. She runs back to where John is now and the other disciples freaking out, all locked in a room. And she says, you guys, you gotta come. There's something's wrong. Something's, our Lord, I don't know what's going on. So, so, so John records this. John says him and Peter ran to the tomb. And John puts down that John beat Peter to the tomb. So John wanted to know that he's faster, okay? He wanted, I guess it's his gospel. He can call, he can do it however he wants. John beat Peter to the tomb. They get there and, and, and John looks in the tomb. And li listen to me. It isn't about what John saw that changed him. It's about what he didn't see. He didn't see Jesus. He didn't see his king. He didn't see his leader. He didn't see his friend. He didn't see this light. And the reason he didn't see the light is because Jesus wasn't there. Mary, it's not, don't worry, Mary, it's not because they stole him. It's because Jesus Christ this light of the world was shining brighter than he'd ever shined before. Jesus Christ was not dead. He was alive. And because of that, you and I can experience the light of the world. Thank you, Father. Who? Jesus. He is the center of this church and he always will be. The cornerstone, the head. He's everything to us. And I hope he is to you too. Here's what's crazy about the gospel. When you believe like that man believed, the beggar, when you believe in Jesus and the story of the resurrection that I just told you, when you believe and you ask Jesus to forgive you and make you new, and you truly want it, like you're repentant. You ain't just playing a game. You ain't just praying a prayer because you're emotional. You want it. You're dead and you know it. And you ask him, God, I need you to show up. I need you in me. I believe what he said. I believe what the word said. I believe this who is the Messiah, the Son of God. When you believe that and you call on his name, the Holy Spirit enters into you. And here's what's crazy. Guess what? Now you're the light of the world. Now you're the hope of the world. Now you're the only Jesus that some of your friends and family are ever going to meet. This is what's not. Listen to Jesus and the Beatitudes. We're talking about Jesus as the light of the world. Jesus said in Matthew, you are. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. See, the attributes that Jesus has, all of a sudden you have. You have his authority. You have his power. You, you, have, his, you have his Holy Spirit guiding you. Why wouldn't you want that? The man was changed forever, not because he could see physically, but because he could see spiritually. And some, somebody here, you're believing a lie about who you are. And some of you, you maybe don't even know who you are in Christ. And you believe what others say or what you're told or a label. He's the blind beggar. No, he's not. He's got a name. He's, he, he can own promises from God. And you can too. 
The world's going to criticize you. That's okay. Who cares? It's going to persecute you. It's going it's to badmouth you. It's going to call you by a certain thing. But it doesn't matter. It matters what Jesus calls you. So I'm going to close this message because here's what I believe. I believe many people, Christians even, don't know promises from God. We know there's a lot of promises from God, like there's probably over a thousand, and there is. But do you know them? Because when you're in Christ and Christ is in you, you can own these as yours. And if you own them as yours, it'll change your life. It'll change your life. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you religious morons, you are lost and you can't see it. Why? You don't know scriptures. In other words, you don't know the word. You know who the word is? It's not a, it's not a, it's not a book. It's a person. It's Jesus. He's the word. You don't know me. I want, you to, I, I want you to know Jesus, not just know him, but promises from God. Will you own these? 2 Corinthians 5.17. Anybody baptized in our church, you know this one. You are a new creation. The word of God says it's a promise to you. The old is gone, the new is here. Ephesians 1.7. You're forgiven. God, own that, will you? You're forgiven. Your sins are washed away. Why do you keep carrying around sins that have been washed away? You don't have to do that anymore. Romans 8.37, for you are more than a conqueror. You own that. That's a promise from God. Ephesians 2.10, you are God's masterpiece. Did you hear that? God's masterpiece? You are. Romans 8.11, you are filled with the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. 2 Corinthians 5.20, you are Christ's representative to the world. Last but not least, Romans 8.14, you are no longer a slave to sin. You're a child of God. You're a child. That's who you are. Stop living in slavery. Start living in freedom. Start living in God's promise. Start living in God's truth. What's your next step? Some will surrender like the blind beggar today. Indicate it on your card. Turn it in so I can rejoice when you're gone and pray over your name and reach out to you and love you. We all want to. Others, this is big. You're uncertain in an area of your life. You, you, I don't have to tell you what it is. The Holy Spirit will. You are uncertain in an area of your life. You need to take a step. Father, I thank you so much for your word and your truth. You are so good. You are so God. You are the great I am. Your son, Jesus. Seven statements. He made more, but seven specifically that John recorded. One of them said that Jesus is the light of the world. We live in such a dark place, God. We live in such a broken place, God. We need you. We need your Holy Spirit. We need that light. Just like you transformed the blind beggar, God, I'm praying with everything in me right now that you will transform us by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the power of God. Take an area of our life that we know that we're not stepping into and give us the courage, the strength, and the power to step into it. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for Jesus, the light of the world. We need light. 
We need life. We need you, God. Thank you for loving us right where we're at, but not leaving us where we're at. God, we're going to praise you. The best is yet to come. We learned that in our last series. But it's only if we do some things. If the man never goes to the pool of Siloam, guess what? He not only dies a blind man, he, he dies dead spiritually. His step of faith to a pool saved him physically and forever. Help us take a step. In Jesus' name I pray and we all say, amen.